Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. As a kid... What exactly was it like to love the Packers? It was like it was like they weren't human, to be honest with you. It was like they were superhero. And you only wanted a glimpse. All you wanted was a glimpse, and that gave you the most satisfaction ever. I mean, you didn't have to shake their hand. You didn't have to get an autograph. You didn't have to be on the field with them. Literally seeing them through the fence or catching them walking out to their car in the parking lot that it was like you saw a superhero and it's hard to describe and I think the Packers have this relationship with the state of Wisconsin that's unique and different than almost any other fan base um, but it's it's so hard to explain I think every single kid in this state has a green and gold jersey in their closet um, and it's just it's a, such a unique bond and relationship and to be able to be out here today and to have some of their fans cheering for me was one of the most special things. Oh, that Wisconsin kid would grow up to become a superhero and break some other kid's bike when the Texans played, <laughs> practiced at least, at Lambeau Field. He broke the bike. I'm sure he replaced the bike. But now that J.J. Watt's a free agent, Peter, we talked about this earlier in the week. He can sign anywhere he wants. He's from Wisconsin. He revered the Packers. He could land with the Green Bay Packers. It won't be done until it's done. We won't know until a signature is on a contract. And good morning. It's a Wednesday edition of PFT Live. Welcome back. You get you get to do it at least twice this week, maybe a third time. I don't know. The schedule's different every day, all because Sims can't hack it and needed to have a week off. You know, I hope he's sleeping rather peacefully right now in his beautiful Connecticut home. Because I had to get up, and it's 18 degrees here, Mike. <laughs> and, you know, I had to walk the dog at, at 5.50 this morning. <laughs> no, I need to tell you a little bit about that video that you just saw. It was shot by Annie Koblitz of, you know, my NBC Sports producer on our training camp trip, you know, a year and a half ago. And what was so interesting about that is that you really didn't see is that 
So he got on this bike that was really, as you can see, not a good fit for J.J. Watt. And as soon as he got on the bike, he broke the seat. So afterwards, he Venmoed through Amy Palsik, their communications director, he Venmoed uh, the mom the money for another bike since he broke that one. And so, you know, the tale of the story is that he broke the bike, but he didn't just walk away from it. And Mike, look, I think here's the thing about J.J. Watt and the Packers. If all things were equal, or even close to equal, that's what I think would be a dream for him to go play and help the Packers win another Super Bowl. The problem is, as you well know, is that they are going to be about $20 million over the salary cap, you know, as they start. That's according to over the cap. And as they start their machinations, which every team has got to go through. We saw the Panthers with K1 Short uh, yesterday. Everyone is going to start making these cap moves. And this year, it's probably going to be uglier than ever because we all know that the cap is going down this year, not going up. So those are the kind of things that, and look, any team can do anything it wants. They can figure out, they can put money into future years and all that. But the Packers are not the kind of team that usually does something like this. And this is not the kind of year the teams are used to seeing, which could prompt teams to break from their precedent, change their protocol and do what they have to do to get a good team on the field this year, even if it means infringing on their ability a little bit or a lot as the case may be to operate in future years because that's the thing. Anything you do to move money around, the cap dollars still hit the cap, but you could argue it's better to have those dollars hit the cap in a year where the cap is going to be higher this year, widely expected to be lower. Current thinking is 180 is the range, but we'll talk more in the program about how that could change. A couple of things real quick, though. You mentioned it's 18 degrees out. It's about that here. But for the people in Texas, the images I see on social media, the stuff that those folks are going through because they don't have the infrastructure there to deal with it, the electrical grid, I don't know where it went. It's gone. I don't know when it's coming back for some of those folks. We had Shereen Williams yesterday morning from the Dallas area where it was two below. She has power. So many people don't. People are dying. It is horrible. It is awful. It is a nightmare. I was talking to this last night, or talking to my son about this last night. Like, what, what do you do if you're in the middle of that? Do you just get in your car and drive? Which way do you drive? Where do you go? What do you do? You abandon your house? What's going to happen to your house? I mean, pipes are bursting. There's no heat. It's just these are things that they never expected to happen on a sustained basis, and we wish all of our friends in Texas and elsewhere affected by this weather the best. But, uh, yeah, I— I uh, it's cold here, but at least I know that my power is going to stay on and I know that my water is going to flow and I know that my heat's going to stay on. And I can't imagine trying to suffer through an hour, much less a day, much less a week of wintertime without it. So uh, that's been that's that's just something that is is uh, I hope I hope it ends for the sake of all those folks down there before uh, it gets much worse, because it sounds like it can't get much worse as to what, though. And this leads us into. The, the top story on a slow Tuesday, but it's still a significant story on any Tuesday. J.J. Watt seriously considering the Cleveland Browns. This from Mary Kay Cabot of the Cleveland Plain Dealer. Now, there's two ways to look at this. One way is 
J.J. Watt is firing a warning shot to any other team that may be seriously interested that it may be time to make a move, even if you don't know what the salary cap's going to be. I'm thinking about the Browns. Hello, is this thing on? Is there anyone else out there? Because we're not hearing any other teams rushing because of the salary cap. The Browns could pull it off because they've got the cap space. The other side of it, too, Peter, and this brings us back to the Packers. I said this last night on PFTPM. It reminds me at a lower level. The legitimacy that this move would give the Browns, it reminds me of Reggie White choosing the Green Bay Packers in 93. Not that J.J. Watt is currently anywhere close to White at his prime, but it it this doesn't happen for the Browns. There isn't a free agent that a lot of teams are like, oh, we're interested in him, and that guy even seriously considers the Browns. When does that ever happen? When does it ever happen that a a a, a a guy of this stature is even linked to the Browns. So even if they don't get him, just the fact that they're at the table, that's got to be encouraging for Cleveland Browns fans. Well, Mike, you know, let's just, let's talk a little bit about history here because I think it's important um, when you consider a guy like Reggie White and a guy like J.J. Watt. Remember, think back to 1993, when Reggie White was on the market, okay? That's 28 years ago. And that was one of the first long stories, big stories I ever did for Sports Illustrated. I went on the trip on the plane with Jimmy Sexton, the agent, Reggie White, uh, and Harry Galbraith, who was a guard at the time, but who was also a Jimmy Sexton client uh, who was taking some of these trips. And it was really interesting, the trip to Cleveland and how the Browns went all out. Bill Belichick was was there at a dinner with a bunch of players and Reggie White and Sexton. And it was real wooing, okay? Now, last year and this year, there, there can be no such wooing, obviously, because of the pandemic. But I think there's a couple of similar things. Number one, this would be, even though the Browns you know, we're on the verge of really doing something great a month ago, you know, and and accomplish more than any of us thought they would by winning a road playoff game and then giving Kansas City all it wanted, you know, in the next round of the playoffs. I think the Browns might be ready, and we all can see it, to take that next step. When they got, when they wooed Reggie White 28 years ago, that was a team that a year later was actually going to make the playoffs. So I think in Cleveland, they are looking at this with the other teams in the division not being bulletproof anymore, you know? They're looking at this as, hey, listen, this could be our time. And to get a guy like J.J. Watt to give you, I think, two really good years, plus, Mike, think of it. Who's the leader of the Browns on defense right now? You know, there, there isn't really one guy who you would say is, is the guy on defense, whereas... You know, you got Jarvis Landry on offense. You got Mayfield. You, you know, you've got guys on offense that really kind of fill that bill. And I think Watt could help in that way as well. And, you know, it's funny you talk about the Browns trying to get Reggie White in 93. That means if he had chosen the Browns, the year that he otherwise won a Super Bowl with the Packers would have been his first year with the Baltimore Ravens in 96. So 
alternate universe fun as it relates to where Reggie White could have ended up and what city he could have been in, not because of his own choosing, but because Art Modell chose to move the team there. But I think the other sign is in this weird kind of offseason where a lot of veterans who thought they were safe will find themselves looking for work and a lot of free agents who thought they were going to break the bank will find themselves taking one-year deals wherever they can get them, the Browns will be potentially in position to attract multiple of these recognizable names with gas in the tank who can come in and help. And the challenge is, where do you stop? How many can you really fit? How far do you go? Okay, we want J.J. Watt. If you don't get him, okay, we want this guy. How many can we get? When do we have to say enough's enough or we're going to get ourselves into a cap problem? Good problem to have if you're the Browns because where they are right now, you add two or three guys. It doesn't take many to push you to the next level, especially when you get Odell Beckham Jr. back, assuming he's healthy. But you add a couple of guys who can come in, make a difference, and J.J. Watt makes a difference on the field and off the field. Great member of the community. Sell a ton of jerseys. 99 jersey in brown and white or orange or whatever. That, that, that will be a big item, even though folks know it's a short-time relationship between the uh, Browns and J.J. Watt. I, it's, it's just fascinating to think, that this Browns team that has been downtrodden for so long is a player now. That's the big takeaway I have from that. Even if they're being used by J.J. Watt as leverage to get the Steelers to figure their stuff out quickly so they don't have to deal with J.J. Watt twice per year and compete with him otherwise every week of the year in the division, the fact that the Browns can even be used as that, that candidate to be the leverage item with a straight face is, is a sign that the Browns are here. Whether they stay or not, we'll see. That applies to any team. We don't know. Time will tell, but at least they're here, something they haven't been in a very long time. Mike, let me ask you this question, because I'm curious about what you would think of this. I have heard that J.J. Watt, uh, out of out of great respect to his brother, T.J., uh, might not want to go to Pittsburgh. Um, and I've heard that. I don't know how true it is because obviously I've not talked to Watt himself. Um, but one of the things that interests me about that is you know that when J.J. Watt shows up in a place, especially if you're still doing things virtually, you know, who's the one guy who everybody is going to ask to interview? You, you know, all, on many, many occasions. J.J. Watt, he's a, he's a fountain. He's, you know, he's... He's always been sort of team spokesman. And maybe he tells whoever he signs with, I don't want that role anymore. You know, I, I don't, that, that's not me. That shouldn't be me. I don't know. But I do think that J.J. Watt walking into a locker room to some degree is sucking the air out of the room. So I think that is one thing to watch for. And you tell me if you think that might be even a little bit of a factor. Let me agree with you and take it in a slightly different direction. T.J. Watt is entering the final year of his contract with the Steelers, $10 million in his option season as a result of being a first-round pick. He doesn't have a long-term deal yet. And if J.J. Watt would sign a two-year deal with the Steelers, that complicates things for T.J. Watt's long-term contract because does he walk away after next year? Does he? Do the, does the Steelers, do the Steelers, excuse me, think that they can squeeze TJ to take a little bit less so he can keep playing with his brother like it just complicates the negotiation 
if JJ's part of the team, whereas TJ can just focus on getting what he already deserves but hasn't gotten yet from the Steelers after four seasons of great performances. What are they going to do going into this year? Would they franchise tag him next year? Where's that relationship? And I think that's a complicating factor in addition to the possibility of J.J. Watt, as you said, sucking the air out of the room and all of a sudden nobody wants to talk to T.J. and everybody wants to talk to J.J. and he overshadows his younger brother. Just the fact that J.J.'s made his money and T.J.'s in position to make his and having J.J. on the team could complicate that. I think that's another reason to not do it. Now, is that a reason to stay in the division? I think that's a reason to join the Packers. Like you said, all things equal, he goes to the Packers. And I'm fascinated by the possibility of J.J. and T.J. Watt on opposite ends of the Browns-Steelers rivalry, but I don't I don't know that that's ideal for them uh, unless they truly can compartmentalize their their relationship as brothers with their relationship as competitors. I think that's a really good point. I, the one other team in here uh, that could be in here, I think that that you know obviously J.J. Watt wants to play with a team that can win a Super Bowl next year or the year after. So I think really there's there's two teams that, you know, I, it, we haven't talked about a lot, or maybe you have, but I haven't heard talked about a lot. They've been mentioned, but Tennessee and Buffalo. And I think both of those teams, quite honestly, could contend to play deep, very deep into the season next year, you know, because of all the complementary parts they have all over the roster. But... You know, Mike, I'm not sure that Cleveland is just a stalking horse if indeed they're seriously involved. And that is because, you know, teams in the NFL take a jump all the time. And if you look at that roster and look and see how many high draft choices they have on their team, how many really good players they have on their team who are on the verge of really doing something great, I could see him saying, I can see the Browns winning, especially because, look, the Steelers are no lock to, to own that division. And, you know, I think the Ravens probably entering next year, at least to me, would be, uh, I would think they would be the presumptive favorite over Pittsburgh. And I think some people would say, let's give it to Cleveland. So Cleveland is definitely in that race. The, the, the one other thing I would say, though, is, it's really, really tough in the AFC because probably you're going to have to get by, and there's a good chance on the road, Kansas City, even next year. And I'm not trying to be, you know, put the ball too far down the field this early, but I have to think that of all the 32 teams in the NFL, if you had to ask me, give me one team as the favorite for home field in its conference in 2021. I'd say Kansas City again for the fourth consecutive year. You know, you're touching on a good point as it relates to trying to figure out now, if you're J.J. Watt, which horse you're going to climb onto because there are so many factors, so many variables, so much stuff still to be determined. He signs a contract today. It's before the potential purge of veterans for cap reasons. It's before free agency where you can maybe go out and get some bargain basement level veterans that help make you better. It's before the draft even happens for crying out loud. And all you can do, Miles Simmons and I last night on PFTPM were talking about this. It's a pass-fail analysis. There are teams that are above the line and teams that are below the line. 
The Browns are above the line. The Titans, who John Robinson, the GM yesterday, I don't know if he's either keeping his cards close to the vest or he's really interested or not. I mean, he said what GMs have to say, which is basically nothing. But they could be interested. The Bills, like that, that would make sense. Those are all teams on the right side of the line. They're in contention. And beyond that, you have no idea. No one does how the dominoes are going to fall. One injury changes everything, and we know the injuries happen. All the time we spend from February until September prognosticating about the season to come, it it all falls apart once guys start getting injured and everything changes. And, and that's the thing. If you're J.J. Watt and you don't have a crystal ball, all you can do is pick one of the teams that reasonably seems to be in position to contend, and everything after that is yet to be written. Here's the question. You know, as you spoke about that, I kept thinking to myself, what would happen if Andy Reid said to Brett Veach this week, hey, listen, let's carve out something somehow. They're whatever, 20 million over the projected cap. Um, and they would have to probably have some ugly decisions. Um, they would probably have to make some ugly decisions that would hurt their team. But just imagine if they saw we want one more piece on that defensive front and they could get J.J. Watt and they told Watt, listen, sign a three-year deal, have the number be very small uh, in your first year and, you know, help us out on the contract and you come in and, you know, we'll guarantee it, but but we're going to backload this. And basically, Mike, it, I, I, I honestly think if I'm J.J. Watt, and I want to win a Super Bowl, and I don't know how many years I'm going to play. I'm serious. I, I am pushing either the Packers or the, or the Chiefs. I'm pushing the two teams this year that won home field. Because, look, honestly, you can't look at Tampa Bay and think there's, there could be anything serious there. Because Tampa Bay's on record as saying, we're signing everybody. And once they start throwing guys overboard to add different guys, all of a sudden, the chemistry inside the team, everybody said, hey, wait a second. And Dominican Sue wants to come back another year. You brought in J.J. Watt? I thought we were a family. And that's a naive thing to say, obviously. But that is what I could see happening. So I'm just eliminating the Bucks right now. You're making a good point, teams- though. I don't think, hang on a second. I don't think that's a naive thing to say, Peter, because the vibes coming from the Bucks over the past week have been consistent with that. So if they don't behave that way, right. they're creating a problem because they've already said, they've already written the checks to keep yes. the guys. At least they've done That's it the verbally. Point. That's the point. And if they screw so you these can't... guys over, they are going to have trouble. You can't do it. I'm, I agree yeah, with so you. So you can't, J.J. Watt can't really be on Tampa Bay's list. Not that he would be on their list anyway. I mean, especially if they bring Shaq Barrett back. If they have Barrett and JPP, and then they have at least one of the two guys in the middle, you know, Vita Vey, or I mean, Vita Vey's coming back, you know, or, or, or Indomitian Sioux, it's hard to imagine that they would spend money on J.J. Watt. So that's why I would eliminate him. But anyway, the two teams that if, if, if I were him and I was really focusing on trying to win in the next couple of years, those are the two teams I would... I'd try to. I'd go to the general managers of each thing and just say, "If you've got interest, we will be very friendly contractually." Now, that's not a Tom Condon way, Mike. Tom Condon is a, is an excellent, excellent agent. Obviously, he's been doing it forever, 
and he's not going to give away any of his leverage. But I, you know, I, I think this might be a case where J.J. Watt says to his agent, hey, listen, I don't really care what the money is. Get me to Green Bay or get me wherever it is that he really wants to go. Yeah, I mean, the best agents make their clients happy and meet their expectations. And if Watt says, this is what I want, he's made his money. He can go wherever he wants to go. And, and, and then it becomes a question of, especially in Green Bay, what are they willing to do to enhance their short-term chances, right? Last year, first-round pick plus a fourth-round pick used to get a backup quarterback who didn't play at all in 2020. Could have been useful in the NFC Championship against the Buccaneers. What will they do? And they do have their own issues as well. Aaron Jones, running back, becoming a free agent. Corey Lindsley, center, becoming a free agent. Other guys lesser in value to the team. What are we going to do with them? Well, we're going to get rid of some veterans. Are we going to have money available? How's this going to work? But they'd have to at least, I think, show some interest in working something out, some interest in adding a guy like J.J. Watt to the team if they believe it will make them better. That's the other side of this, though. Given his age, given his injury history, will you have general managers on contending teams say, let's not get caught up in this. Let's not Let's not fall victim to the land rush for a guy. Great that question. We don't Great we question. don't have the certainty is really going to make a difference. It's going to make a, a buzz. We're going to sell a lot of jerseys. People are going to care about us. But is it really going to make a difference for us in December, January, and hopefully February? It, that's the question that everybody has to ask. To me, it's very similar to Carson Wentz. You know, you look at J.J. Watt of – four and five years ago, and, and even a couple of years ago, he had a very good year. Um, and, and it's the same thing. Look at Carson Wentz in 2017. And you say, man, look at him. Boy, if, if he can just do that. And, and that is the big issue if you're a general manager in this case. It, just one second on Carson Wentz. You know, if you're Chris Ballard of the Indianapolis Colts, you not only have to look at the fact that you need a long-term quarterback and Carson Wentz is very young, and three years ago he was a top-five quarterback in the league. You not only have to look at that, you have to look at what is he now and what will he be for the next seven or eight years. And you have to then value that. What is that worth? That's why you know, Howie Roseman is unable to make a trade right now because his value of Carson Wentz is so much different. And that's why I think when you look at J.J. Watt, it's got to be somebody who truly believes in J.J. Watt and who, if you, for instance, will look at pro football focus and you will look at what he did last year, J.J. Watt was a top 10 when he played interior last year. Not edge, but when he played interior, he was a top 10, top 10 player at his position, the defensive interior in the NFL. And so if you look at that and you believe that you're going to get 12 or 13 games out of them, and you believe that you can disrupt offenses from the inside and not just from the outside, you go after J.J. Watt and you go after him hard. I wonder how much the courtship and ultimate performance of Jadavian Clowney last year in Tennessee, after multiple teams were trying They're different to, people, though. to get him. I know, I know, but... When you have the, the decision makers in the room and somebody's going to be the naysayer, that's going to be the example they point to. 
with these older guys with injury histories, we're going to we're going to sink a lot of money in a year of a depressed salary cap. You know, should we do it? Maybe we shouldn't do it. Maybe we should learn from what happened with the Titans. And then maybe somebody else is like, oh, I don't want to be in a position where Joe's going to tell you me know, I told here's you the so difference, Mike. if J.J. gets injured in October. Here, why did the Atlanta Falcons not re-sign Vic Beasley? Because they thought he didn't love football. Okay. Why was it so hard for Jadavian Clowney to get a long-term contract somewhere? Because teams are not convinced that he's going to work hard in the offseason, that he's going to be fully, totally dedicated to be a great football player. He is a great football player often, okay? But I don't think he's one of those guys who I would want to play, who I'd want to pay $20 million a year to over uh, on a five-year deal. And But I think Watt is different. You never have to worry. You have to worry about injury with Watt without any question. You don't have to worry about any other thing uh, than injury. Hey, and that's a big deal. Don't get me wrong. But you don't have to worry about desire or what they really want out of life. J.J. Watt wants to be the greatest football player he can be. That's his whole goal. That's what drives him every day. So I, I wouldn't be, I really wouldn't compare him to those other guys. The uh, the other teams that uh, are in the mix, or at least would like to be in the mix, based upon the opinions of their players, just a couple of who who have gone public. DeAndre Hopkins, teammate of Watts with the Houston Texans, takes to Instagram to court J.J. Watt with a great Photoshop. I mean, that's a great one. That one fooled me. I'm thinking, when did the Texans wear black jerseys with red numbers? No, that's a Photoshop of Watt in the Cardinals uniform. And Stephon Diggs also would like to get J.J. Watt. Even with the Larry Wilson patch on it, Mike. Yes, the eight ball patch. It's very well done. And <laughs> yeah. uh, Buffalo Bills yeah. would like to get J.J. Water. At least Stephon Diggs would. Just hear me out real quick, big fella. Uh, these aren't the people who make the decisions, obviously, but this just adds to the intrigue because players in today's age can, can go public worldwide anytime they want to express their opinions. And that may frustrate the people who have their fingers on the purse strings because it creates expectations they may not fulfill. <laughs> yeah. But we'll see how that plays out. What we mentioned uh, earlier, uh, or I started to mention K1 short cut by the Carolina Panthers. That's not a surprise. We're going to see more of this. Guys with bloated cap numbers, especially guys who haven't done much lately, like short, they're going to be cut. They're going to be gone. Of all years, this is not the year that teams are going to make exceptions or try to move money around to extend it one more year. Guys are going to be gone. And the only way they're going to stay in some of these cases, not that short got that opportunity, but some of these guys, the team will come to them with the proposition that they usually make in August, they'll come to them with the proposition in March because they got to get everything under the cap on March 17. You got to take less or you're going to take a hike. And that's one of the realities of the free agency that the players finally got in 1993. The salary cap puts players in a position where sometimes they want to stay, but they're not able to stay. Um, Let's go ahead and take a break. We got plenty more PFT Live still to come on this Wednesday edition. We're going to do Which Doesn't Belong and Why coming up in about a half an hour. We're going to take a closer look at what the Bears' plans are for Allen Robinson, though, when PFT Live continues right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait but marines will always be there 
They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Want to make Mom's Day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. And that's another thing like that we knew going in. We knew that they was going to be a cocky team, which they have every right to be. They was the number one offense in the, in the entire National Football League. But the thing is... We knew they couldn't block us. We knew that our front four was going to dominate them. So they did us a favor. They played right into our hands. We weren't going to be that cocky team like, hey, we're going to play them in cover one. We're going to shut them down. Our best guys matched up on their best guys. We was going to make it be a team collective uh, win on defense, and that's what we did, man. So at the end of the day, they shouldn't even talk about not having their offensive tackles when they didn't even help them. They put them on islands by themselves right. with the best pass rushers in the game. So that, that's, on, that's at their own fault. That's Buccaneers linebacker Devin White on FS1's Undisputed answering a question from Shannon Sharp about whether White was surprised and the Buccaneers were surprised by the way the Chiefs blocked or didn't block for Patrick Mahomes. Five guys in the protection scheme 92% of the time. White very blunt. White, White White's one of my favorite defensive players. I think he may be one of my He's favorite great talkers either side of the ball because he, he says ways. things he says things and and it's I don't know can anyone really be offended by that are the Chiefs going to look at that and say well there's bulletin board material for when we meet him again no it's the truth they chose to not help the backup tackles they chose to not keep guys in they chose to say to Patrick Mahomes we know you got a bad toe go ahead and run around on it for 500 yards from the course of the of the Super Bowl. And uh, uh, Buccaneers are the ones that are throwing a trophy from boat to boat because of it. You know, the one thing that I think we all learned uh, watching these playoffs, remember at Washington, the Bucs started off and Devin White was in COVID protocol. And so he missed that game. And then after that, every single game on defense, who was the best Buccaneer defensive player on the field? Now, we could very easily argue, and I probably would take that argument, that against Green Bay, that Shaq Barrett was the best uh, Buccaneer defensive player on the field. But overall, you know, in their, last, uh, in their last four games, their best defensive player on the field, in my opinion, uh, was, was Devin White. And think about this, Mike. Let me tell you a very quick story. A year and a half ago, I'm at Buccaneers training camp. 
This is year before Brady. So you don't know how good they're going to be. But anyway, there's optimism, blah, blah, blah. And I see Devin White. He's walking off the field. He's a rookie. I had not asked to talk to him. And I was talking to somebody else. And I looked over and Devin White was walking away. And I looked over and Mikey had the green dot on the back of his helmet. And I said to myself, hey, wait a second. He's 21 years old. And I understand he's the fifth pick in the draft, first guy taken, everything like that. So I tell one of the PR guys, hey, can I get a couple minutes with Devin White? And I talked to him and I said, you're 21 years old and you have the green dot on your helmet. Do you have any idea what that means? And for people who don't really have any idea what it means, what it means is that the Bucks have chosen, Todd Bowles, Bruce Arians, have chosen a 21-year-old player to be the guy who they call signals into, who's going to run the defense, you know, for them on the field at age 21. And so to, to, to see him now, as young as he is, be as dominant as he is, be the tackling machine that he is in the, in the biggest games of his life is really impressive. And, and one of the things that I've talked to other people about who were in a position to evaluate Devin White entering the draft, there was a strong belief that this is a guy, this is one of those rare guys who always is around the football, that Troy Polamalu, Ed Reed, Minka Fitzpatrick right. to a certain extent, Tyron Matthew, just the instincts that always seem to put him in the right place at the right time to make the right play. And I've said before, Peter, that if the NFL had the equivalent of hockey's Conn Smythe trophy, which goes to the best player of the entire playoffs, even though White missed the wild card game. Yes. I think White's White's the guy. White's the guy. White's I think I would vote for him. It was a combination of Antoine Winfield and Devin White that turned the Saints game around and kept it from becoming a 10 or a 14 point deficit in the third quarter with the play that was made on Jared Cook and the fumble that was scooped up by White, but he's just one of those guys that always is around the ball, always has a feel for where the ball is going to be. We usually see those guys one level back. It's rare to see a guy with that kind of instinct in the middle linebacker spot. Usually it's just to tackle. It's For him, it's tackle and get to the ball when there's an opportunity to get the ball. He's, he's great, and he's awesome, and I love what he said, and I'm sure the Chiefs have to do some soul-searching, Peter, over why they did what they did. And that that's one of the questions that – I don't know, will Andy Reid ever really be in a position to address it? Will he want to address it? Will he hope enough time passes that it never comes up? Why in the world didn't you help your overmatched left tackle and right tackle, especially when you knew that Patrick Mahomes had a bad toe? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. You know, it was interesting. I was on, uh, I was on a podcast last week with the pro football focus guys who were obviously the the football nerdy guys and you know they look at every play every player on every play and and so one of them Eric Eager asked me um well what what really surprised you out of this Super Bowl what are the maybe the two or three things that surprised me and I said that Andy Reid had 30 minutes at halftime of this game and he and Eric Bieniemy didn't figure out some way to make Patrick Mahomes a little bit better protected in the second half because it was as bad in the second half as it was in the first half. And they did nothing, I don't that I saw anyway, consistently to help particularly Andrew Wiley, who was an absolute disaster on the right-hand side of the field. 
I mean, if you talk about most valuable players on the Chiefs after this game, I, I'm, I mean, I'm looking at Mitchell Schwartz, quite honestly, as being one of them because him not being there and obviously not being there for the end of the season too really, really hurt Kansas City's offense. But I'm just surprised that especially when you have an extra long halftime that and maybe there was some small thing they did technically that was different. They didn't do anything major. They didn't have a six-man line. They didn't have a tight end next to Andrew Wiley all the time. And I just think that's a mistake. And, and I wonder how aggressively they tried to pop through the I'm fine, I'm fine facade with Mahomes because the toe was bothering yeah. him. And, and so if you trust when he says I'm fine, I'm fine, and they've been with him long enough to – not that he's played with a lot of injuries. Maybe next time around they'll know to be skeptical when he says I'm fine because they continue to, to roll with this idea that Mahomes – doesn't need the help because he can run around and he can make things happen. And it was a superhuman effort by him in the second half. It's amazing what he did, especially given that injury. But Peter, I think that the fact that the Chiefs and everyone else have seen Mahomes work magic in so many other high-profile spots in single elimination games over and over again, I fall behind 10 points, no big deal, 24 points, no big deal. I, I almost think that one of the reasons he didn't change anything is they just thought Patrick's going to figure it out he always does and you know look that's worked a lot for them in the past but Mike uh look I'm not here this this is a this is a full show one day but I do think that we have to look at the Kansas Kansas City Chiefs right now with a little bit of a jaundiced eye we just do because if you take out the last 10 minutes of the fourth quarter of uh, Super Bowl 54 and you count, um, you know, the, the other 110 minutes of the last two games, you know what you have? You have 16 offensive possessions and one touchdown. And, and again, I'm not saying that, that the Chiefs are not great. They're a great football team. But their performance in the last two Super Bowls gives me pause. And it gives me pause that, you know, if I'm Andy Reid, I'll never forget uh, when uh, it was either Joe Banner or Howie Roseman, you know, after Andy Reid left uh, Philadelphia, after he got fired and he went to Kansas City, you know, the question was, what, what do you learn most from Andy Reid? And his answer was, you take care of both lines. Take care of the offensive line and the defensive line. To me, their defensive line's in pretty good shape, okay? They need to take, take care of their offensive line, and I would be very surprised if this, if this offseason they don't go heavy uh, on the tackle position, on the offensive line position as a whole. And, and they need to be thinking about having the backups available too. What the Patriots always did with the money that Tom Brady left on the table, having veteran backups who are making good money so you don't have to rely upon some undrafted free agent or a sixth-round draft pick or somebody you picked up off the street and you just hope for the best. You know, you have faith, you have trust that your backups are going to be able to step in, step up, and get the job done. That's one of the reasons why the Patriots won so many because when the inevitable injuries happened, they had backups who could come in whom they trusted. You mentioned taking care of both lines. We talked earlier about 
the Buccaneers likely not being in the J.J. Watt pursuit because they have their own guys that they want to keep, and they've said they will try to keep, if not definitely will keep, and Dominican Sue, one of them, speaking to Albert Breer of SI.com earlier this week. Sue said, my goal is to come back and have an opportunity to go win another championship. Me and Tom Brady spoke the other day about that opportunity, as well as with GM Jason Light. I don't know if you saw our parade celebration on that podium. Coach Bruce Arians said, I'm not going anywhere, and he's usually a man of his word. Again, they can't go sign J.J. Watt. They can't sign whoever else happens to fall out of the sky because they have to keep Sue. They have to keep Shaq Barrett. They have to keep Levante David. They have to keep Chris Godwin. I don't know that they can do that one, but they have to at least try to keep that defense together because they've said these guys are coming back, and it wasn't just some drunken moment. Even if it was, and maybe it was, it's going to resonate with the audience, and those guys are thinking we're going to get taken care of. We're going to get our reward for helping this team to its first Super Bowl win in 18 years. You know, Mike, as you look at even with the economic downturn with the cap, um, you really have to look at a couple of guys at the wide receiver position, Allen Robinson and Chris Godwin, who I'm not saying they're equal, but I think if they were on the open market, they would get a lot of traffic. And obviously... Each team has the ability to use the franchise tag on those players. But the other day, I, was, I, was talk, I just called Bruce Arians about something on Sunday. And um, you know, we were talking, and he believes that they can keep both Shaq Barrett and Chris Godwin. Now, naturally, he's going to say that. But I think that he truly does believe deep down that they can keep both. The problem is, you have to ask yourself... In an environment like this one, okay, think about it. In an environment like like this one, Shaq Barrett, Chris Godwin are both probably close to 19 or $20 million players per year. And ask yourself this question, particularly if you're going to get team-friendly deals from both Gronk and Antonio Brown, okay? Who do you keep if you have a choice, Shaq Barrett or Chris Godwin? And I ask you that question, Mike Florio, tell me. Oh, you're keeping Shaq Barrett, without question. And then when Godwin leaves and people say, well, I I thought you were going to keep Godwin, all Arians has to say is he wanted too much. We tried. He wanted too much. We couldn't do it. And and you just shrug and you move on. But I I don't know why they would even try to keep Chris Godwin when you consider someone is going to come along, presumably. In a a different year, I'd say absolutely someone's going to come along and throw a premium at Chris Godwin just to rip him away from the Buccaneers. But this year, I don't know, maybe it won't be a premium because maybe they'll look at it and say, I, you know, our money is better spent elsewhere. But if they've got Antonio Brown, who will most likely come back, unless Russell Wilson really rattles cages in Seattle to get them to make a run at Brown, because that's a guy that Russell wanted last year. They still have Scotty Miller and Tyler Johnson. They still have Mike Evans. I, I just think that Godwin becomes a luxury you shouldn't even try to afford because it is going to affect your ability to keep key defensive pieces in place. So without question, I'd keep Shaq Barrett over Chris Godwin, Peter. Well, you mentioned a guy right there who, in my opinion, is, I I don't know if you can call him a star in the future, but I think is going to be an above-average NFL wide receiver, and that's Tyler Johnson, the rookie fifth-round pick from Minnesota uh, who, who made a huge impact on their team. 
made a great catch at Green Bay in a vital spot of the game in the fourth quarter, or in New Orleans, excuse me. And then at Green Bay, who did Tom Brady throw the ball to just inside the two-minute warning when they needed to extend a drive and run out the clock against the Green Bay Packers? They threw it to, he threw it to Tyler Johnson, who was interfered with when, when Kevin King grabbed his jersey or his t-shirt, whatever it was. But look at, look at what Tom Brady did on two huge calls. One in the divisional game, one in the championship game. He found Tyler Johnson. To me, it was reminiscent of him looking for Malcolm Mitchell and Chris Hogan in the Super Bowl win over Atlanta. Why is he throwing to them? Well, because I trust them. Tom Brady is not throwing the ball to anybody in a huge moment of a playoff game unless he trusts them. So I totally agree with you, Mike. I'm franchising Shaq Barrett. I'm trying to work out a long-term deal. And if you can get Godwin for below what he might make somewhere else, great. If not, sometimes you just have to say goodbye. We're going to say goodbye just for a couple of minutes. When we return, Peter had some information on Monday about the momentum toward new TV deals. I'm fascinated by one aspect of it. What is Monday Night Football going to look like, and are we moving toward an additional window, at least for part of the year, when the next wave of NFL contracts is done? We'll talk about that next here on PFT Live. Earlier this week, Peter King on his Football Morning in America column mentioned the possibility as the buzz is building and was building at the Super Bowl of the NFL getting its new TV deals in place within a month. Jabari Young of CNBC mentioned last week the NFL wants to have the frameworks in place before the next salary cap is determined. I still think there's a desire to maybe rob a little bit from Peter to pay a little bit more from Paul to pump up the salary cap. But it sure feels like, Peter, it's moving in that direction to get the deals done without any dramatic changes. Thursday Night Football looks like it's heading to Amazon, mainly because none of the three-letter networks want to mess with it. That's a little bit of a surprise if it happens because it's going to shrink that audience. But you can grow the audience on Monday night if it becomes an ABC simulcast If ESPN and ABC continue to keep that package, it looks like that'll happen. So you get a bigger platform on Monday night, smaller platform on Thursday night to flip what it currently is, where you have the smaller platform Monday and the big platform on Thursday. Here's the issue, because I think most people, after they read what I wrote the other day, thinking that Amazon or a a streaming service is more likely to get the Thursday night package And everybody said, oh, the ratings will be terrible. They'll get half the audience. They'll get this. There's two things to remember. The The NFL would never agree to this deal unless the local markets get to televise the game on an over-the-air station. So understand that if it's a a Vikings, um, you know, Packers game, uh, the television stations in Milwaukee, Green Bay, and Minneapolis-St. Paul are all gonna have it, you can watch it on your TV. So that's number one. Number two, I think everybody thinks that, oh my God, you, you know, you, you'd be sacrificing all these television households, you shouldn't do that. This is a 10-year contract. Would anybody have envisioned that last night, my wife and I would not have watched any television after dinner we would have just watched The Queen's Gambit on Netflix, okay? I never heard of Netflix 
three or four years ago. Never heard of them. And so how do we know how people are going to be watching a screen three, four, five, six years down the road? It could very well be we'll all be streaming everything. You just simply don't know. And the last point I would make is money talks. And these owners who have just been battered and beaten over the head, you know, to the tune of probably, Mike, I'm guessing now, about $75 million per franchise. That's what the pandemic cost them. That's my guess, okay? And if that's the case, who can blame them for saying, I'm taking the most money, ratings be damned in the next two or three years? Yeah, and you lock in for 10 years, you have $100 billion in certainty, and then I think what happens the next time around 10 years from now, that's when the world will have completely changed. Cable and satellite won't matter. It'll be easier to stream. And I don't know about you. I watched Peacock last night, not Netflix, Peter. We, it's, we're on Peacock, <laughs> not, not Netflix. The, the other thing, too, and I wrote about this the other day, don't be surprised if there are double headers later in the year with the better game flexing to late, the early game, the lesser game, but another window as the gambling spreads more windows for more people to be watching the game and gambling during the game. We got a full hour of PFT Live still to come. We'll be right back. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.